Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on today in the book of Romans. Surprise, surprise. Romans part 14. We're getting into the second half of chapter 7 today. And I've titled it Internal Conflict. Has anybody here ever done something they didn't want to do? Not like something like that your parents or your boss said you couldn't do and you did it anyway. Not like you weren't allowed to do, but like something internally where you're like, I hate myself for doing these things, or you're disappointed in yourselves for doing it. Anybody ever had anything like that? That internal struggle where you're, you're fighting with yourself because you know you shouldn't do it, you know you shouldn't be getting involved in these things, and there's this, this internal conflict. That's why I picked the, 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 the picture of the wrestlers up here for the, for the image because that's what sometimes it feels like inside of you. It's like two different people are fighting and wrestling inside of you. It seems like there were many times dealing with an unwinnable internal struggle. And today, Paul actually takes a few moments and talks about this internal struggle to an extent, and he, he, he talks about it and, and the solution to it as well, the solution to this eternal struggle. And we're going to look into Paul's letter today as he talks about how he says that, that uh, he actually says that, that he was doing the things he hates, is what Paul said. And we're going to talk about what he meant by that because we're also going to look at some pretty common misconceptions when we're reviewing these scriptures. Because the truth is, is that, and, and we'll deal with this as well, that even as Christians, sometimes we, we struggle with that internal, that internal struggle. Paul's not actually talking about Christians uh, uh, specifically in these verses. He is talking to Christians, so it is something that we can still learn from. But you'll see as we go through the scripture, he's actually talking about a time before you were saved and a time after you are saved. The truth is, is that before you're saved, it doesn't matter if you want to do good that you can't do good because you are a slave to sin. That's all there is to it. When you're a slave to something, it controls you. It dictates what happens in your life. But we'll see is that oftentimes as Christians, we forget that we're free. As Christians, we should never face this internal struggle because we have been made brand new. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we are brand new creations. We're not who we used to be. The old man is dead and gone. The person that's fighting with us should be dead and gone. But what happens is that sometimes we forget. Anybody ever forget that? You... I know I have in my life. I constantly remind myself. I've got to constantly remind myself that I'm victorious in Him because the old habits, my past, those things will try to creep back into my life. And if I'm not careful, if I don't get my eyes back on Jesus immediately, I'll notice that in many ways you almost look away from Him in shame. Because the reality is, is I don't believe that, that when your eyes are on Jesus, it is possible to sin. I actually believe that as Christians, we can live without sin. Many people, oh no, we can't live without sin. No, you can live without sin. You've been made brand new. In Jude 124, which is my favorite scripture in the entire Bible, says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before him. We are able to live without sin. I also recognize that it's unlikely because we all have failings. We all take our eyes off Jesus. I mean, I... I, as much as I'm loath to admit it, there are times when, when I, I'm dealing with something and, and I'll, just, I'll just do it better tomorrow. You know, you try to put it on the back. You take your eyes off Jesus for a moment and that internal struggle rears up. And the only way to get through it is to keep your eyes on him. So let's go ahead and get started this morning. We're going to pray as we come to the word and then we'll dive into the second half of chapter seven in Paul's letter to the Romans. 
Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that you sent your son to make us pure, perfect, clean, to restore us to the same position that Adam had when he had no past, he had no history, he had no baggage. He was brand new and in perfect relationship with you. Father, I thank you that you sent your son to make us just like that. Father, I thank you that as we read through these things that, that, that we can live without sin, that we can not have this eternal struggle because you have remade us. You have made us brand new. And Father, I'm just so thankful that we can live without sin. But as we read through these scriptures this morning, Father, I pray that, that our hearts and our minds would be open and ready to receive them, that we would have not just intellectual understanding, Father, but that we would have a revelation of what you're trying to speak to us this morning, that we would leave differently than we came in, and we would know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Romans chapter 7, verse 13 says, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Now you remember last week as we uh, ended in, in chapter, or verse 12, he was actually talking about how sin gets its power through the law, but he said, well, if, if sin gets its power through the law, does that mean that the law is bad? And Paul, of course, says, by no means. Other translation says, may it never be. And he continues on, then he says, well, then, if we know that the law is good, because chapter or verse 12 says that we know that the, the law is holy and the law is good, he says, then, did that which is good then bring death to me? And he says, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So the, the, the question Paul is once again asking is, is the law our problem then? If, if the law is what gave power to sin, and, and, and you remember last week we learned that it gets, sin gained power because if you didn't know it was a sin, it couldn't be held against you. But the law came, it was our plumb line, it says this is sin, this is not sin, there's no more confusion, there's no more questioning, we know what is right and what is wrong, and by doing so, what it really did was pointed out how bad things really were. It pointed out, like, have you ever walked into to a, uh, a new house or to a new apartment and you get the place and you walk in and you're, you're excited about getting a new place and you kind of got those, those uh, uh, rose-colored glasses on and everything looks great and then you're there for the first day and you, wait a minute, I didn't notice that chip on the wall. Wait a minute, I, I swear that the walls were straight when I came in, but now I can see that this one's got a bow in it. And then you start putting the stuff, right? so when you start looking at it with a critical eye, you start putting it up with, with a standard, you start seeing all the issues. But where there is no standard, there's, there can't be any issues by definition. And that's what Paul's saying, is that the law came and it laid down the standard, and we were able to point out what the problems were. But Paul wanted to be very, very clear that it's, it's not the law that it was the issue. The law didn't bring death to you, it was still sin. Sin took advantage of the law, but it was still sin that caused death in you. It wasn't the law. The law wasn't the problem. The law is not evil. We saw last week that the law is actually very good. And I always like to think about simple examples to explain kind of how these things work. And one of them that I always think about is, anybody ever had your kids get mad at you when you have to discipline them? Anybody ever... And, and what do they say? Like, I remember when my kids were little, my, my, uh, my daughter, Haley, one time, 
she got in trouble and, and she was just mad. So I walked in there and I sit down with them and I, I said, are you mad at me? And she says, yes. So why are you mad at me? She says, you got me in trouble. And I went, wait, 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 wait a minute. I got you in trouble. Who did the thing? I did. So then who got you in trouble? And then she wouldn't answer me. But the thing is, is that my kids finally started to know not to answer that question. I'd walk in, they'd be super mad. I'm like, are you mad at me? No. <laughs> but the reality is, is that the, it wasn't me that got my child in trouble. It wasn't the rules that got my child in trouble. It was what they did in contrast to those rules. It was a decision that they made. It was their own choice. And the same is true for, for the law and sin. It's not the law that's bad. It only lays out what the guidelines are. And we saw last week that, it, that it's sin was the problem because we know this, that death was alive and well, if that makes any sense, before the law ever came. So, and what is the wages of sin? Death. So that means that before the law, sin was already there because death was there. So we know that, that sin was already working. Sin was already having its way with people. It was killing people, but it was the law that really pointed out how bad things were being, how bad things really was. It shined that spotlight right on us, and the law, what it actually did, even though it wasn't, the law is good, the law is perfect, the law is holy, what it actually did, though, was put a spotlight on our sin. It put the focus on our sin, because if you want to, to live according to the law, and we didn't have grace, if that's all we had is the law, what is the focus? It's looking at, am I sinning or am I not sinning? It's always looking at sin. It's always putting the focus on sin. But that's where grace came in and did something completely different, because it took our focus off of sin and put our focus on to Jesus. That's why when we did communion this morning, one of the things I always speak about when we're getting ready to receive communion is that it's not a time to focus on our failures and our sins. It's a time to focus on Jesus who took care of your failures and your sins. Whenever we put our focus on sin, it just causes problems in our life. You guys remember Pastor Jack Karras who was here a couple Wednesdays ago. He told a story once that when he was just started that church in Nogales that he was talking about. He said one time he preached an entire month against adultery. And he said in, in the, the preceding months after that, he had more adultery going on in his church than he had ever had before. Because the problem is, is that when you put the focus on something, it gets put in people's minds. It's like saying, don't look through that hole. Don't take a cookie. All of a sudden, your focus is on those things. It's why when you give your testimony, your testimony should be like 10% of who you were and like 90% of what God has done in you now. You don't want to sit up there and talk about your life and the drugs and the girls because what happens is we glorify that life instead of glorifying Jesus who freed you from that life. We want to get the focus off of sin and on to Jesus. And that's what grace does. See, the law, what it did was it told us how we could earn righteousness, but it highlighted the sin that kept us from it. And that's what he means by it was shown by sin. The sin was, was, might become sinful beyond measure through this commandment because really what it is is it put the focus on the sin and showed it for what it really was, but sin took advantage of that. And the law showed how bad sin really was, but sin took advantage by keeping our eyes on it. And somehow when your eyes are on sin, you keep up getting wrapped up inside of it. 
But the truth is, is that what grace did is it put us in a place where we could abide in Him and, and Jesus in us. And then we could have life. We could finally quit focusing on sin. We could focus on Him. And that's actually what John 15, 4 says, right? Abide in me and, and I in you. And abiding in Him is focusing on Him, keeping our eyes on Him, spending time with Him, spending time praying, spending time in His Word, and looking to Him for everything, placing all of our trust in Him. And Him abiding in us is letting Him live His life out through us. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As we let Jesus live His self out through us, and He is abiding in, him, in us. And it's the very life that He gave us when He took our own life and it died with Him. When our old self died with Him, we put a new life inside of us. And if we let that live out inside of us, that is us, Him abiding in us. And the great thing about that, the great thing about grace is it that the free gift of God is it renders the power of sin useless. It actually renders sin powerless in our lives because we stop looking at sin and we realize that he's already taken care of it all. It, sin never gets the time of day in grace. It's done with. It's dealt with. The penalty for sin was paid for in Jesus Christ. And where the law failed because sin took advantage of it to put a focus on itself, grace succeeds by putting the focus back onto Jesus Christ. You know, there are things in my life that don't really concern me. Not that they weren't real, not that they weren't bad, not that, that I'm going to tell you about them, but they don't concern me because the answer is always Jesus. It doesn't matter how bad it was, how low I got, how much I failed, the answer is Jesus. The answer is keeping my eyes on him. And when the enemy begins attacking me, I don't look at him or try to negotiate with him. I look to Jesus. Because in him, I'm victorious. I keep my eyes on Jesus because he is the answer. He's always the answer. I remember one time when we, this was probably four years ago, we had just been planted for about a year, and, and, uh, and you probably kind of know this is my attitude when I talked about it last week as well, but we got a call of this lady saying that she thinks that her, her dad, who's starting to get a little bit dementia, but he's starting to get involved in some pretty occult stuff, and she thinks there's some spiritual stuff going on. And she kept trying to tell me all these things, and I, and, and I kept saying, there's no problem. We're just going to go and pray. We're going to go and deal with it. We're gonna, you know, it's, and it's, I think she was getting upset. She felt like I wasn't taking her problem, her situation, seriously enough. And I said, lady, I'm not trying to, 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 to take your situation lightly or flippantly? I said, but the answer is Jesus. It's always Jesus. And the truth is, is that we have authority. We're victorious. This, the, you, you feel like it's a big deal, but it's not. We're just going to go in there and stand on His Word and be done with it. And it's not that I take what you're going through lightly, but the, the reality is, is that it's, the answer is Jesus, no matter what's going on. You can keep telling me how bad it is. You can give me different situations, and you can tell me about how you had somebody come out and put crystals somewhere, or you sprinkled holy water somewhere, and, and I don't care about any of that stuff. is because the truth is the answer is Jesus. It's just like last week when we were telling, was telling you about the, 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 the reality of what was going on with my daughter. And my, my wife was freaking out because there was some spiritual stuff going on. And I went, no, this is good. This is easy for me to deal with. I know how to deal with this. Because the answer is always Jesus. 
Another thing that I realized is that when I'm afraid, I don't look to my fear. You know, one of the uh, misgu- most misguided things I think that we can do is when you have something that you're afraid of is try to face it head on or conquer it yourself. We don't need to face our fear and conquer it on our own. We have Jesus. Look to him to get you through whatever it is. And press on, but in his strength and not on your own. It's not about facing your fears. It's about facing Jesus. And when your eyes are on him and you're facing him, then your fears don't matter. Because you can move forward in his strength. Because you know that in him you've already conquered everything that you're dealing with. In verse 14 through 15, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now Paul's going to start dealing with what we were talking about, that internal struggle that, that sometimes we face as Christians. But it seems like there's a conflict of new two natures. He says that I don't understand my own actions because I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And many Christians look at this, and I think we have to be very careful with this, because as Christians, we need to understand this is not something to grab hold of and justify something going on in your Christian life. This isn't something, this this whole passage isn't about Christians and somehow justifying sin in a Christian's life. That's not what this is all about. Paul is actually contrasting pre-salvation and post-salvation. And how do we know this? Because the truth is, is that when we struggle in our lives, this, this makes us feel better. Oh, even Paul struggled. But that's not what Paul's talking about. The reason I know this is because he says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Did you know that if you're a Christian, you're no longer of the flesh? And you're no longer sold under sin. Just last week in Romans 7, 5 through 6, matter of fact, still part of this whole, this whole argument, he said, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work on our members to bear fruit for death, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul is referring to a time when we were of the flesh. He's talking about before you were saved, this was a reality. Before you were saved, even if you wanted to do good, it was impossible to do good because you were a slave to sin. And that's why even if you wanted to do good, you didn't understand your own actions. For, for most of us, even if we weren't really involved in church, there is still a, a morality or a consciousness that's written on our hearts. The law is written on every single one of our hearts, and that's why that everybody knows that stealing is wrong. Everybody knows that murder is wrong because that's written on our hearts. And for Paul, and particularly to the Jews that he's writing to um, and to the, 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 the guys that he's talking to right now, they kind of knew about the law. They knew about what was going on. They understood the law and these codes of conduct. They, they got what they were doing. And, and Paul said that when I knew these things were wrong, I hated them. I hated sin. I hated these things. But even though I did, I, did what I, I didn't do what I wanted. I did the very thing that I hated. I think this is why so many people come to church but still live in sin. Because they don't have a real revelation a real understanding of what salvation actually is 
So many people treat salvation like a like a get out of jail free pass, get out of hell free pass. They figure that if I just do enough, then at least I'll get to go to heaven. And they miss out on so much of what God wants for them in their life. I can tell you that this was my story when I was younger. Especially when I was in high school, because my my best friend's dad was a pastor, and, and we went to church every month, and I remember wanting to do the right things, but I did the wrong things all of the time. But I believed in God. I went to church. I actually, I believed in His law. I believed what His Word said was true. I knew that I shouldn't do these things. I didn't think like, nah, God, maybe you messed up on this one. This isn't really sin. I believed what His Word says. And I even believed in Jesus. Problem was, I wasn't believing on Jesus. That's a, that's a scary thing for many people. The, the Bible says that even the demons believe. But how many know that demons aren't going to heaven? Believing in Jesus is not enough. You have to believe on Him for your salvation. Receive that free gift of salvation. So I look back in my life and I, I thought I was saved back then and, and maybe sometimes I had enough faith for that. But the truth is, is, is I probably never was really saved. I just went to church. And for me, it was always about knowing that, that these are the things God wanted me to do and these are the things that He didn't want me to do, but for some reason I couldn't stop doing the things that I knew He didn't want me to do. And I can give all kinds of excuses, peer pressure, the stuff that was going on around me, life was hard. I can give any kind of excuse that I want, but there were decisions that I was making. And I would lay in bed at night, laying out my laundry list of sin, begging God to forgive me, and then I'd get up and do them all this again the next day. Has anybody ever been there? I, I would, and it would, it would, I would be at night just frustrated, and like, why can I not, why, why is this stuff still happening? I didn't understand, because no one ever told me that when you got saved, a miracle took place inside of you, and you were brand new, and you received this free gift. No one ever told me, quit focusing on your sin and start focusing on who you are in Jesus. Nobody ever told me that if you would read your Bible, something would happen, you'd be renewed. And I was missing out on something, so I went to church. I thought I was doing, I was hitting all the right check marks, but I wasn't free from anything. I was still in bondage to sin. That's what Paul's talking about, is even when you want to do the right thing, that you can't. And this was the problem before grace. This is the problem before Jesus, is that, that we, it was impossible for us to do the things that we needed to do, that we wanted to do, because the law pointed out the issue, but it never provided a solution to what was broken inside of it. In verse 18, verse 16 through 17 says, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells inside of me. So Paul's talking once again, remember this is a pre-salvation internal struggle that even though he was doing, he wanted to do the right things, even though he agreed with the law that he couldn't. There was an internal conflict going on inside of him. His mind wanted to do one thing, but sin dwelling inside of him was causing him to live a completely different life than what he wanted to do. In Paul's mind, he agreed with the law he wanted to live righteously. He wanted to live holy. He knew that the law was good, but he kept failing at keeping it. 
And because sin still had control over his body, Paul was never actually set free. And it was no longer Paul who was in control, but it was sin. You remember, I think it was in in chapter 6, it was talking about that we are a slave to sin if we're not saved. You know, this is actually why I believe 100% that it's crazy and you are out of your mind if you expect people that aren't saved to act like Christians. Like, literally, you need to have a checkup from the neck up if you expect people that are not Christians to act like Christians. One, it's impossible. Even if they want to do the right thing, sin that dwells inside of them, which is what happens when you're born into this world, we are born broken. Sin living inside of them won't let them do the right thing. Even worse, sin will cause them to do the wrong thing and they'll think it's the right thing. We see that now somehow, completely illogically, there is a large group of people that have rationalized killing babies in the womb. They have rationalized abortion. And I I just don't get, but somehow they've rationalized it. Now, if you know anybody or if you've ever had an abortion, thank God that there's grace for that. God pays for everything. And there is forgiveness and there is restoration. And we don't hate people that have gone through that because truthfully, if someone's considering that, they're probably going through some really tough stuff. But the reality is is that sin is just wreaking havoc in this world right now, making people think that what is wrong is right. that's the power of grace is that it's not that we're just forgiven how many know being forgiven is a good thing forgiven is a good thing but that's just the beginning that's just the tip of the iceberg so that's the power of grace is not that we're just forgiven which we all agree is good but it's we're actually free from all of those things that we're forgiven of see people that aren't christians they don't have a choice they, they want to be good, they try to be good, but it, they'll still continue to fail. They don't even have the ability in them to live without sin because sin has control over them. They are a slave to sin whether they want to admit it or whether they like it or not. But if you have grace, if you have Jesus inside of you, you're no longer bound to those things. You can finally live the life that God has called you to live without sin. The power is, is there's, there's not a, 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 what many, so many people get wrapped up in is this idea that, oh, if I'm saved, if I mess up, it's not countered against me. That's good. But the fact that you can live without messing up is better. The fact that you have the ability to leave, live completely free without the possibility of it is better. And he continues on in verses 18 through I'm going to have to get another one of these. This thing is all messed up. Verse 18 through 20 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So he goes to continue on with the same argument. It's nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Remember he's speaking of when he was in the flesh. This is, this is po- or pre-salvation because when you're saved, 
How many know you got something very good inside of you? You have the Spirit of God inside of you. And, you, and I, I've always viewed that as, as 100% proof that when you get saved, the moment that you get saved, even though sometimes it takes a little while for your life to catch up with it, but the moment that you get saved, you are pure, perfect, and holy because you have the Spirit of God living inside you. The Scripture says that God is light. There in Him there is no darkness. There actually can't be a mixture. You, you know this when you turn on a flashlight because anytime you turn on a flashlight, darkness flees from the light beam. Light cannot coexist with the dark. Nothing that is unrighteous can exist with a righteous God, which is why we have to be made this way in the first place, because we can't coexist. That's why everybody in the Old Testament was so scared when God would show up, they thought they were going to die because they recognized if they weren't perfect, if they weren't clean, they couldn't be in his presence without it killing him. Because there was a conflict, there was a contradiction of nature. But if we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, how many know that is 100% proof that you are pure, that you are holy if you've received him? as your Lord and Savior. Because if you weren't, if, there was, if it was like a process thing that you had to go through, then Jesus couldn't, this, couldn't live inside you. The Spirit of God could not live inside you. You couldn't coexist in the same place. So he's not talking about, he says, I knew nothing good dwells in me that is, that is in my flesh. He's talking about before Jesus. And he reiterates that he knew what was good, but he couldn't carry it out, even if he wanted to. And like I've said before, the reality is, is that we're born broken, and even if we want to do good, without a new life inside of us, it's impossible to do so. And without a miracle, that, they, that, that if we don't have some sort of miracle happen inside of us, then we're completely imprisoned and enslaved, destined to live a life that is unpleasing to God. Regardless of our motives, regardless of our desires, without Jesus, it's impossible. Does anybody remember feeling like that before they were saved? I remember, like I said, I, would, I went to, for years, went to church, thought I was doing the right thing, but I couldn't figure it out. Something was always missing. Something was always wrong. And I remember the conflict. And even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you didn't live that life, I imagine you know a time when, when there was what you were doing, the things that you were doing didn't live up with your, your expectations of how you wanted to live your life. But the real question is, is how many of us feel like that now? I'm the only one that sometimes still deals with that? Man. Maybe I should sit down. You guys can preach to me. You know, the reality is, is that there are many Christians that still feel like what Paul's talking about. And like I've reiterated over and over, I, I believe Paul's talking about a, a pre-salvation and a post-salvation situation here. But the, the reality is he's still talking to Christians. And the reality is that sometimes we still feel like that. And I 100% I, I believe that the reason why we get like this is that we're not keeping our focus 100% on Christ. And it's so easy in today's world to get distracted with work and kids and the political climate and idiot neighbors and friends that let you down and family that's just a pain in the rear. There's all these distractions that are coming from every direction. And it's easy to take your eyes off Christ. And sometimes when stuff gets really bad, you ever just, or just let me be carnal for a few minutes. I'll take care of this. Anybody ever felt like that? I'll, I'll, I'll just straighten this out. You just turn around for a second. Let me deal with this. Somehow we just make it worse. 
You see, it's only in him and in his strength that we are free from the power of sin. You know, one of the things that it always reminds me of when I think about this, this internal struggle, is that the truth is, is that when you get saved, you are free. You have been completely set free from the power of sin, but sometimes we either look away or worse. We remember being in that prison, but we've been in there for so long, and when someone came and unlocked the gates, we just assumed the door was still locked, and we just continued to sit in that prison. We continued to sit without guard, without key, but we stay right where we're at because we don't even recognize that we're free. It's the whole reason, you guys know those, uh, those uh, uh, dog fences that are, that are wireless? You know, they start with those, and when the, when the dog goes through it, they just get the crud shocked out of them. But after you have it on for a few months, you don't have to fire up the fence anymore. They know not to cross that line. The problem is that sometimes we're in prison like that to sin. We've been there for so long that even though the, the line's not going to zap us anymore, we just stay right where we're at. They train elephants in the circus, which blows my mind, but from when they're really tiny, they tie a little rope and stake it into the ground. And as the whole time the elephant's growing up, every time they would pull on one, they were little, they knew they couldn't get away. But now when they're full-grown adults, they could easily rip, I mean, you could probably tie them to a telephone pole and they could take it out if they wanted to, but they feel that tug on their wrist and they go, oh, can't get out of this. And we do the same thing as Christians. We, we forget that we're free or we don't even realize that we're free. And instead of looking to the one who set us free, we keep our eyes on the prison that we're in. Galatians 5.1 says this, for freedom. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You know, the only reason that we would be told not to submit again to the yoke of slavery would be that if it's possible to do so. Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. And it will do well for us to remember that and actually live in the freedom that he purchased with his death. But we have to step out of that, keep our eyes on him, recognize that that thing that you feel like you're trapped by, the thing that even right now you feel like that you can't get out from underneath, that you are free from it. You are forgiven. You're completely unbound. And it's time to live out in that. And I'm not talking about living rebelliously. It's not like you're forgiven so you can do whatever you want. We weren't forgiven so that we could live however we wanted. We were forgiven so that we could finally live and set free so we could finally live in compliance with his law. Whereas before it was impossible, now it is possible. We have to live the life that he gave us in his death and resurrection. And he goes ahead and he continues on and Verse 21 through 23, and it says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in my law, in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Sometimes I wonder if he's talking about hormones. Hormones make you do dumb things. <laughs> you ever get wrapped? I mean one of the things that we talk about kids uh the the youth you know and and i always joke about it you know in our church there's no dating until you're married because 
because the the truth is is that uh uh you know kids especially kids but even adults that are still dating we want to see how close we can get anybody ever had that question like is this still sin is this sin can i do this can i do this we always want to see how close we can get to sin without actually touching it so so what people will do is is the the they want to do the right thing and they start dating and then they're holding hands and then they're hugging and then they're like well maybe just a little kiss you know that's not really anything bad yet but then all of a sudden your hormones kick on and and then you open your eyes and and you've done something that you didn't want to do hormones are stupid that's what we took hormones messed me up and i'm married and i can't even know what what happened you know you gotta when your body wants to do something else that your mind doesn't want to do sometimes it takes over that's why you don't put yourself in those situations in the first place. But that's probably not what he's talking about, hormones. That's probably not it. But uh, you be careful about those hormones, too. They'll mess you up. But he says, I, I, I delight in the, the law of God and my inner being. I want to do what's right, but I can't because the sin dwells in the members of my body. And like we said, the, the law just pointed out the problem. It didn't provide a solution. It actually takes a miracle. It takes a new birth. It takes a new life to finally be set free of what's going on in your body. Because otherwise, we're doomed to live a life that at best agrees with God, but is incapable of living for Him the way that, we're, that we ought to. And in verse 24 through 25, and this is where we're going to end today, it says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself shall serve the law of God with my mind, or with my flesh I will serve the law of sin. So we finally get to see a solution. Because this is what Paul says. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He recognized that in and of himself, there was no way to take care of what was going on. In and of himself, there was no solution. And he said, wretched man that I am, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to get out of it? And then he gives us the answer in verse 25. You can do it. Thanks be to God. To, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the answer. Even though all seems lost, even though it seems like there's no hope, even though it seems like there's no way to dig ourselves out of the hole, and truthfully, if it was only left up to our shovel, there is no way to dig out of that hole. And that's why we recognize that there's no way that we can somehow elevate ourselves to be righteous without Jesus. But God sent His Son to die on the cross for us he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the one that delivers us from this body of death. And with Jesus, we can finally live the life that God has called us to. And he finishes, finishes with this summation of the argument he was just making. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Now, it's funny, the, the way that chapters are written out in the, in the, in the Bible and the way that verses are 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 written out. Sometimes we we attribute stopping points to parts that probably aren't stopping points. Because he says that Jesus sets us free, and then he goes back and says, but then myself, I, I serve the law of God with my mind, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And if we stop there, that doesn't make any sense. How can Jesus set us free and we still serve the law, we still serve the law of sin? It doesn't make any sense. This is a weird place to stop. 
But the good news is that in, even though whoever put the chapters in, just so you guys know, if you didn't know, when the Bible is written, there is no verses, there is no chapters. That was put in later to make it easier for us to uh, find stuff. And why they stopped here, I don't know, because let me give you a sneak peek of what verses chapter 8, 1 through 2 says. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I want you to know that with our flesh, we can't serve the law of sin if Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin. It didn't stop there. He's just reiterating his argument, post-salvation, pre-salvation. But the truth is, is that after we get saved, we are completely set free from the law of sin. Our flesh doesn't have to serve it because we have been made brand new. And our struggle that we get into is that sometimes it takes a little while for our bodies to catch up to the realities of what's happened inside of our spirit. But if we will keep our eyes on Jesus, we're never going to fall into this conflict of two natures inside of us. You want to know why that is? You don't actually have two natures inside of you. You have one. The old one, the one that you so often seem to struggle with and fight with, he's dead and gone. Every now and then he tries to reach up zombified and get back into your life through your memories and your, your habits and your history, but he doesn't have a right in your life. He's dead. He's gone. Anybody else would think you were crazy if you, were, if, you, if you walked down to the cemetery and pulled some dead person out and started yapping with him. They'd think you were crazy, but we do it all the time in our own lives with our old person who's dead and gone. That's why you got baptized. It was a good old-fashioned funeral. Buried them, come out of the water, brand new life. We only have one nature, and it's a new nature. And it's true, the Scripture says, I think it's in uh, Ephesians where it says, put on the new self. We actually have to consciously get up and put on the new self. The Scripture says to do that, because otherwise the old self can creep its way back in, and then all of a sudden we have this stupid internal conflict, but you don't have to have that church. You have been set free. You are brand new. If you are born again, you are forgiven. You are clean. You are perfect. You are holy. And more importantly, you are an overcomer. You are victorious in whatever you are struggling with in your life right now. You have the victory. The Scripture says in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. And that's something, church, I think should excite you. I thought I would have got an amen or something from that. Man, we're like, that's cool. I guess it's all right to be victorious. Better than a sharp stick in the eye. Church, you are forgiven. You are free. You are brand new. You are victorious. And that's something to be excited about. You don't have to have that struggle. Just remember who you are in him and keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen?